What we're going to do over the next few weeks in Advent is we're going to explore uh, this idea that God is present with us through Christ. And at Advent, that word literally means coming in Latin. And we remember that Jesus came, he has come. But we also remember that he is coming now through the Holy Spirit into our midst and his kingdom is available. And then we also look forward to this idea of hope that Jesus will come again. That's what Advent is about. And what we're doing is we're really engaging in that rhythm across the world that the church engages with at Christmas, that this part of the story, familiar story where Jesus comes as a little baby, is born in Bethlehem, and we sing carols about it. That this is a key moment in the story of the scripture. And we want to ask the question, not just like, how can we have fun and engage with that story? We want to be able to have fun. But how does this story shape us? How does it shape our lives? How does this reality that God incarnate, that word literally came and made his home among us, how does that change the way I live? How does it change my perspective in the world? How does it shape my worldview? And how does it affect how I treat those around me? And so we're going to do that uh, through a kind of structured way this morning. And uh, we're going to talk about bread, which will become clear in a moment. And, but I'd like to begin with the opening prayer. In your little leaflets, you'll have an opening prayer. We're going to say it together um, after three. So one, two, three. Lord, in this Advent season, we consider that you are near to us, not far away, as some suppose. Jesus, as you made your home with humanity, come make your home in our hearts today. By the Spirit. Amen. Amen. I've got a couple of questions for you to start thinking about. And you can take this stuff home and reflect on it during the week. That's the whole point of it, is to try and create room for you and to do that. But the first question is this. As we prepare for Christmas, in what ways can we welcome the presence of Jesus into our homes, our lives, our streets, our workplaces, and our schools? So as we kind of reflect on this story, how can we do that? talked about the big thing in different ways, but how can you personally welcome the presence of Jesus into those places, into your own life, but also into the places that you live and work? And then the second question is this, as you experience, or as I experience the presence of Jesus through his word, we're going to look at that this morning, in what ways can I reflect his glory in the world? So not only how do I experience his presence, but also how do I reflect him to those around me? I'm going to look at two different scriptures in the Gospel of John this morning to kind of unpack it together. And you'll have a short excerpt from there in, your, um, in that little uh, leaflet, or you can follow along on, uh, in your Bibles if you want to. I'm going to look at John chapter 1 first, and our whole Advent season is going to be in John chapter 1. And this morning we're reflecting on bread, and it'll become clear. Uh, but let's read the first part, chapter 1, verse 1. Before I'll just read it for us, but you can follow along. It says this, In the beginning... The word was already there. The word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and all things were made through him. Nothing that has been made was made without him. Life was in him and that life was the light for all people. I'm going to read that again. I think it's one of the most profound scriptures that there is. In the beginning, the word was already there. The word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him. Nothing that has been made was made without him. Life was in him and that life was light 
for all peoples. And then the second scripture is from John chapter 6. And it's not a Christmas scripture, but it'll make sense. And I'm going to read the full part, and there's a short excerpt in your leaflets. But it says this, Jesus answered, what, am I, what I'm about to tell you is true. You're not looking for me because you saw the signs that I did. You're looking for me because you ate the bread until you were full. And I'll describe the story in a minute. It'll make sense. But he says this, do not work for food that spoils. Work for food that lasts forever. That is the food that the Son of Man will give you. For God the Father has put his seal of approval on him. They asked him, what does God want from us? What works does he want us to do? Jesus answered, God's work is to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign will you give us? What will you do so that we can see it and believe you? Long ago, our people ate the manna in the desert. It is written in the scripture, and then they quote this scripture to him. The Lord gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, what I'm about to tell you is true. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. It is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven. He gives life to the world. That's the phrase I want to kind of pick up on. First one, John says, in him is life. And in this part, he says, he gives life to the world. Sir, they asked, always give us this bread. That sounds really good. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And before I jump into what we're going to talk about, two little phrases there that I always hold when I'm reading the scripture. And I want you to, to, to think about them for a moment. And as you go out throughout this week, I want you to read back those scriptures and ask these questions. Take a minute to reflect on what's standing out to you from the text. Just take a moment, maybe reread it again, and just think, what is standing out for me? And then are there any phrases or words that seem new or that I didn't notice before or where the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is bringing to light or bringing emphasis? It's a really great question to ask whenever you're reading the Bible. Take a moment just to ask this, and then I'm going to do a little bit of reflection with you. As I said already, I want to take a moment to reflect on bread this morning and life and what that means. And I'm going to quite deep theologically with you, or at least I'm going to talk about some deep ideas that Jesus brought. But I hope that it makes sense to you, and I hope that you're able to apply it in your life. And it's a theme that in the whole of the scripture story, if you have ever read the scripture, this idea of bread comes up over and over again. And it's about little bread, which we love, like sourdough or wheaten or pizza or flatbread or, I mean, there's just so many types of bread. You could just, I could stay here and just talk about bread and I would, and I would go to a heavenly place, but that's not what we're doing this morning. But bread is a very literal thing um, and it's beautiful and we all have it in all our different uh, varieties. Um, but it also is deeply symbolic in the scripture story of so many different things and particularly of this idea of life. And so I'm going to talk about that, how Jesus picks up on that idea and makes it real for us. And it's contained right throughout the scriptures. And then Jesus brings it up over and over in his teachings. And we actually, as a, as a people, participate in this idea again through what we often call the communion or the mass or the Eucharist, where we physically 
take bread that is broken as a symbol of Jesus' body for us and we feast on it as his presence. And so it's a theme that comes continually throughout the scriptures. And what I want to look at today is it's all about the bread, but it's also not about the bread, which hopefully has you suitably confused for a moment, but I will unpack it. It's about the bread, but it's also about so much more than the bread. Um, And let me start with a little story just to kind of unpack this. Uh, About a month ago, um, I was feeling pretty weary and overrun, which maybe you find yourself feeling quite often in life just because of the demands that are maybe placed upon you. And I took a moment to sit down in my bedroom. I had a moment and really I didn't want to do this, but I knew it was an important thing to do. So I just said, God, I need you. I'm tired and weary. And I sat down and I read uh, my next set of readings, which was in the Gospel of Mark. And I was reading Mark chapter six and God began to speak to me uh, graciously through it. And it's a story that we are going to read this morning or we've kind of read the second half of that you also find in John chapter six. And it's a familiar story to many people who've been around church before. It might be a familiar story to you. It's called the feeding of the 5,000. But it's also found in Mark chapter six. And um, it was a really familiar story to to me. I've read it a hundred times at least. And yet there were some things in it that just struck me and hit me and God spoke to me through. And it's a story about bread, but it's also not about bread. Um, And it begins with these, uh, the the disciples of Jesus who have just gone out on this ministry trip. And you can read this in Mark chapter six, but I'll just summarize it for you. They've just gone out on this ministry trip without Jesus for the first time. So Jesus sent them out and said, right, go, I want you to do the things that I was doing. And so they go out and, and, and see incredible things happen. They come back to Jesus with um, excited about all the things they've seen, the healings, the deliverances, the miracles. Um, and it's really cool. And Jesus just uh, recognizes that it's amazing, but he also realizes you need to take some time to refresh and restore. Otherwise, you're going to be overspent. And this, the text actually says they, they were so overrun with people's needs that they didn't even have time to eat. So they were exhausted. Jesus knew that. And he had wisdom that said, like, we can't sustain this. We need to go and have some time out. And so he says, look, let's go away to a quiet place so we can recover. And so he encourages the disciples and him to get in the boat and they go to the other side of the lake. Um, And uh, what's really annoying, at least it's annoying to me, is they get to the other side of the lake and the crowds have followed them all the way over to the other side of the lake. So where they're going for a retreat, suddenly the crowds that they were serving land there and totally interrupt them. And and, And I would be really frustrated at that point. But anyway, Jesus has this beautiful response. He has compassion on the crowd. He realizes that they're harassed and without a shepherd, he begins to teach them again. And so he's teaching them all day. And it's starting to get dark. And I don't know if this is true because it's not in the text, but this is how it felt to me as I was reading it. I can feel the disciples beginning to get a little bit irritated. Like, okay, Jesus, it's time to send people away. It's getting late. I'm tired. This was supposed to be a retreat. And it's not a retreat because people have interrupted it. And, and I, I was, it was relevant to me at the time. But anyway, Jesus just says this really interesting phrase. They say, they use this really clever way of saying, look, it's time to send people on. Look, they don't have any food send them in the to the surrounding towns to go and have some food and then they can eat and we can get some rest doesn't actually say that that's me filling that up by the way and jesus just says this phrase and says you feed them and which is really random and the disciples immediately are like are you serious like how are we going to feed these people? Are you expecting us to use all our resources, go and buy food for, uh, like use up all our money to buy food and bring food back? Are you, is that what you're saying? And then Jesus just compassionately says, what do you have? 
And so they go and they find two loaves and, or five loaves and two fish. Maybe you know the story. And he says, okay, bring that. Jesus blesses it, breaks it, and then they begin to divide it out and miraculously feed 5,000 people with 12 baskets of loaves left over afterwards. It's an incredible story. Loving it. Then he says, okay, I know you're needing a retreat. Why don't you get back in the boat and go over to the other side of the lake? And then Jesus leaves the disciples and he goes up a mountain to pray through the night. And it says that the disciples are on the water, rowing hard against the wind. Actually, the word in one of the languages is painfully rowing without any results. So they're working hard, they're fishermen, they're trying to get across the lake, but it's not working. They're exhausted, they're tired, they're physically exhausted. A real thing, but also symbolic of where they're at. And Jesus comes to them in the middle of the night, walking on the water, after he's been up the mountain to pray. And at first the disciples are terrified, they think it's a ghost. Eventually they realize it's Jesus, and he says to them, do not be afraid, take heart, it is I. They invite Jesus into the boat and the, free, the, the, the text just says, immediately the wind stopped. So all this effort and this painful rowing and this exhaustion just ceased. And I imagine it was fairly easy to row to shore. But then it was this little phrase that Mark records, which is really interesting that hit me like an arrow. And it was this. And the disciples were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the bread because their hearts were hardened. And so all this whole story that I've just regurgitated to you, and then Mark finishes that little section with this phrase, they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the bread for their hearts were hardened. And I, I don't really, I didn't really understand what that phrase meant, but something hit me. And I think in my bedroom, I literally just said, I don't understand about the bread. I don't get it. I don't understand about the bread. What is it? that you're trying to say. And it's opened up this kind of six, seven week and continued conversation about bread and what it means and what Jesus is trying to teach us about. And I want to just reflect on some of it this morning because John opens his gospel with this idea of bread from heaven. And the key text that I've recorded for you there is this text in John 6, 33. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to you the world. For Jesus, there's this really symbolic and real connection between literal bread, like physical bread that we need, representing physical life and the needs that we have for food and everything else, and this deeper spiritual soul need that we have that we can only meet through another kind of bread, what he describes as the heavenly bread. One earthly bread, the literal needs that we have as humanity, points to Another kind of bread, a heavenly bread, which gives a different kind of life that we also need. It's all about the bread, but it's more than that. I told you I love bread. Maybe you love bread too. But it's also about something deeper than that. Um, on the night before God's people were rescued in the story from Egypt, this is an enslaved oppressor, or oppressor that was enslaving them. They were told to break bread without yeast. And it became a kind of memorial to them later on as they had their religious rituals. But then when they were in the desert, God provided for them miraculously through a, a kind of Jew kind of flake called manna, which they described as heavenly bread. And then in the tabernacle, which was the temple that they built, they were actually asked to keep two opers as a measurement 
of this manna in little jars before the temple in the presence of God as a memorial that God provided for their needs. And then after a while, they were called to actually bake bread. So every Sabbath day, every week, the priests would freshly bake bread loaves and they would place it on a gold table in the holy place in front of God's literal presence as a memorial of their presence before God and of God's presence before his people. They would actually be 12 loaves, which were symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was called the bread of the presence or sometimes called the showbread. And so in their spiritual liturgy was this deep connection to bread. It was both the literal provision that God had given them to eat where they needed to eat, but also it spoke of something much deeper of God's dynamic and heavenly presence with them as, um, as his people, with his people. And every Shabbat, which is the, the, the Sabbath rhythm that the Jewish people still practice today, they light two candles. And I, and I know this is like liturgical and all the rest of it, but I love this kind of stuff. And so humor me for a moment because I think it's really dynamic. I'm going to kind of take you through what would happen and just um, ask some questions about it. But every Shabbat, um, they light two candles. And the first candle that they light is symbolic of the light of creation. And they pray this prayer, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to try and pray in Hebrew and then translate it for you. It might not go well, but um, we'll get it. So I'm going to light the first uh, candle, which is symbolic of the light of creation. And they would pray this prayer before they add. Barak ata Adonai Eloheinu melech haolemei hadsu lekem min haretz. Blessed are you. Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. So it's the first candle they would light. And it was to do with creation, and it was to do with the created needs that they had. That God is the one who brings forth bread from the earth. It's a picture of God as the creator king who provides for humanity from the earth. Literally bringing forth bread and bringing life. And so the response that I have in your little sheets there is, is the first response that I want to talk about it. And it's this idea that God is our provision. Jesus is the creator king and in him we have all that we need. The first thing is that bread is a literal thing that God cares about. It's literally his provision for his people to eat to have their needs met because God recognizes that that is a tangible thing. So when his people were in the desert, he fed them literally with manna from heaven so that they would not starve. And it was a depiction of his provision for his people. They baked bread as an example of that. Again, the, the bread without yeast was exactly the same thing, God's provision for them. And so the first thing I want to think about is just at that level, the literal level of your life where you have need. Because God cares about that. So we're going to talk about the depth of the heavenly bread in a moment. But God cares about literal bread. Now, it might not be literal bread that is your need, but it might be financial. Or it might be physical, ailment, chronic illness. It might be emotional. It might be relational there might be areas of your life where you feel a significant need 
and there is a gap between what you know you need and what you're looking for God to provide. And I want to remind us this morning that Jesus is the king of the universe who brings forth bread from the earth. He cares about your needs and wants to provide. He's not inconsiderate about that. He's not unaware of that. And he wants to do something about that. In uh, John's gospel, it begins with this. In the beginning was the word. He was already there. The word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and all things were made through him. Nothing that has been made was made without him. God is the creator king. Jesus, as John describes him, is the creator. He knows what you need and is able to provide for you. And I want you to be reminded of that this morning. God is someone who provides for his people. He multiplies food for a crowd so that they can eat. He has leftovers for his disciples. He constantly talks about in his teaching that my heavenly father knows what you need before you even ask for it. Seek first his kingdom and righteousness, but then all these other things that you're worried about will be sorted for you. He knows and cares about what you need. So just for a moment, consider what that is. Maybe you need reminded that God has more than enough for you this morning. Maybe there's a gap between what you know and what you need. And God wants to meet you there. He's like a good shepherd who feeds and guides his sheep. What's the opening of the 23rd Psalm? It says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I It's about literal bread. What is that for you this morning? It's about bread, but it's also about so much more. The second response I want to look at this morning is this idea of God's promise. Jesus is the king of the universe who brings forth bread from the earth. He provides for our needs, but he is also the living word and life comes to us through his promise. The second candle that they light on Shabbat is, so the first one's the light of creation. The second one is the light of Torah, which is the light of the five, first five books of the Bible, which is the light of the word of God. Um, and so I'm gonna take you through the second one. Um, again, I'm gonna read a, a prayer in Hebrew, my best uh, attempt at it, and then translate it for you. Barak Ata Adonai. Elohimu Malek Hao Alohim Asher Kid Shanu Bimitzfotav. We praise you, eternal God, King of the universe, who makes us holy by his word. Bread is symbolic of God's provision for us through creation and his ability to provide for our basic needs and more. But it's also about so much more than that. It's about the life of his future kingdom, of his heavenly reality that comes to us through his word. John opens his gospel with this very idea. In the beginning was the word. He uses the Greek word logos, but it's the same idea. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. Again, this is how we understand that Jesus is living and alive. When Jesus is in the desert being tempted by Satan, he's hungry, 
he needs literal bread. And one of the first temptations that he has is to turn these stones into bread to meet his physical needs. And it's not that that was unimportant, but Jesus' response is really beautiful. He says and quotes Deuteronomy, the Torah, which says this, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so it's about bread, God cares about our needs, but it's about more than bread. It's about everything that proceeds from the mouth of God. And God brings life to us, the life of his kingdom, the life of the future age, as John describes it, what we sometimes describe as eternal life. He brings that to us through his word, through his promise. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 119, my soul clings to the dust, kind of taking you back to creation where God made Adam out of the dust. My soul clings to the dust, give me life, through your word. Give me life through your word. James writes it this way. He says, Jesus chose to give us new life or new birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. So he's talking about the new creation kingdom that Jesus brought, this kingdom life, this life unto the age. And he says that is brought to us now in this present moment through his word. Jesus invites us in the moment where we don't experience everything that we need or where we don't see the fullness of God's kingdom in every given moment to receive his life through his promise. There are moments where situations or circumstances have not changed quickly for me, but God has spoken something into that situation that has sustained me and held me and taught me how to pray through it. Often there are things that God speaks to us that don't always come into being immediately in our experience, but when God speaks them, they bring life and reality to us. Life with Jesus comes through his word. And, and if I was to describe to anybody who's asking me, what does it mean to have faith in Jesus, to follow him, to live in his life? For me, in its simplest form, it is a listening and a trusting his voice and his word. That's what the journey is. It's learning to trust what he is saying and respond to it. It's learning that reality that Jesus said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We have needs, God cares about them. He wants to meet them, but he wants to do so much more than that. Even when Jesus is, or even when the, 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 the people of Israel are in the desert, learning to trust God for their physical need. It says even in the scripture that God was testing them, training them to, to learn whether they would respond to his voice, his instruction. God is always interested in how we respond to his word. And then the last thing I want to do just to close is to, to look at the last response, which is to consider that we experience this life that we need through not only God's provision for our physical need, not only through God's promise, through his word, but also through his presence. And the last statement I have there is Jesus is the heavenly bread, giving life to us through his spirit. Jesus, or John, sorry, pulls these beautiful ideas together in his first gospel. And he basically uh, tells us that Jesus is Torah. He is the living word that we look for. 
Not only do we find life in the commands of God or the teachings of Jesus, but Jesus literally is the living word and through him we receive new life. And then he says, Jesus is not only the living word, he is also the new creation life, what you might describe as the heavenly bread. I know these are deep concepts, but not only does God provide for needs through literal bread, and he wants to do that, but he also gives us heavenly bread the bread of the new creation life through Jesus. Jesus is, like Jay spoke about a couple of weeks ago, he is heaven, he is the heavenly bread, and through him we experience life. And just to break that down, we experience the life of Jesus now as we wait for his return through the gift of the presence of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus said to his disciples, look, I will not leave you alone. I know I am physically going, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the promise of my Father, sometimes described as the Spirit of Jesus or the presence of Jesus, my presence, the Holy Spirit, to be with you and to be in you. And so we experience this heavenly life of God, which has come and is coming in the world and will one day fully come in Christ when he returns. We experience it now through the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit speaks to us through his word and through his presence. Does that make sense? We experience the life of Jesus, his word and his presence through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is our creator king, provides for our needs. He is the living word and we receive life through his word and he is also the heavenly bread and we experience his life through the presence of the Spirit. Here's the key principle, which is on your last page. As we wait in hope for the fullness of your kingdom, we can receive, experience, and live in that future life today through Jesus, his presence, and his promise. So I've got a couple of questions to close with that I want you to reflect on. As you become aware of the availability of God's presence in this moment, where are you asking for the new creation life of Jesus to break in? Where do you need that to happen? And the second question, in what ways can we adjust our thinking to experience the provision of Jesus, the promise of Jesus, and the presence of Jesus in and through our lives? And maybe one of those particular areas is more dynamic for you in this moment. We're going to say our closing prayer, and then I want to give you an opportunity for some practical ways that you can respond and I give a bit of space just to God to finish that. And um, let's read this closing prayer together. We're gonna to read the Lord's Prayer. I've written it out slightly differently, but it, it's, it's just a, a translation. And you have often probably prayed the Lord's Prayer and uh, understood it. And we pray this section in it, which is give us today our daily bread. Yeah, you, you're good. Um, the, the, the more accurate translation, if you read around, and you can go into a study on this, um, is literally, give us tomorrow's bread today. And the whole concept of it, if you read through the prayer, heaven, like, let heaven come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And um, your kingdom come, sorry, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today, give us tomorrow's bread today. 
speaking of not only our literal needs that we have, give us daily bread, but also give us the experience of the future life of God today, the heavenly bread, the eschatological bread, if you want the fancy term for it, the future bread that we will want to experience and feast on in full. Give us today, we need it. Break in in this moment with your future kingdom now. So we're asking for when we pray that prayer. And um, so can we pray that and then together after three? <laughs> One, two, three. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us tomorrow's bread today as we seek to offer forgiveness to those who've hurt us just as you've forgiven us. And lead us not into the tribulation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom forever. Amen. So when you pray the Lord's Prayer, you can think about it that way. God, give me your heavenly bread today. Yes, provide for my needs. But more than that, provide for what your life is to me. Okay, a couple of ways we can respond. I've written them down there in your notes. Um, Activate your faith through an act of generosity. That is a real practical response, um, which I've just discovered to be a practice, a kingdom practice that works, um, which is if there is a need that you have, to activate your faith by giving something in that area. So for example, if it's a financial need, out of what you have, it could be as much as enough for a cup of coffee, that's okay. So not out of what you don't have, Jesus asked, what do you have? Out of what you have, activate your faith by giving something away. Knowing that God is the one who is generous and who will provide for your need. If it's an emotional need, look for an opportunity to serve someone who needs help. If it's a relational need, pray for forgiveness for somebody that's hurt you. It's activating your faith and asking God to meet your need all at the same time. So maybe that's a way that you can respond. Second way is, thinking about the reality that Jesus, that God's life comes to us through his word, through Torah, if you want to put it that way, through the living word, which is Jesus. What would it look like for you this week to create intentional space and time to read, think upon, and listen to his word? Maybe take that leaflet home and read through John 1 and John 6. Just sit with it and ask those questions. What is standing out to me from the verse? What is the Spirit giving emphasis to? And God will speak to you and it'll open up a conversation like it did with me that is deeply meaningful and helps you understand the mystery of the kingdom now in this present moment. So maybe that's something you can do. And maybe a way that you can engage with the life of God is through the promises that he has spoken to you personally. And maybe you find yourself in a moment where it feels in between. And the reality of lack and difficulty and challenge is uh, overwhelming. And it might be that you need to return to the promises that he has spoken to you that have been personal. They may be scriptural, they may be words that people have shared with you, um, but they're personal to you and they meant something at the time. And go away and meditate on those and pray those out. I have discovered this, um, I can't remember who it was that, that, that told me about it, but they said, God never leaves you without. And so in moments where I've had incredible difficulty, pain or um, challenge, and I felt overwhelmed by it, when I remember, 
I go back to what I have written over the last six months and I quite religiously write stuff down. Maybe that's the wrong word. I quite methodically write stuff down in terms of what God says to me. And every single time, within a few months, God has spoken to me something that I've needed for that moment. And I just forgot. And so when I discover that, it's almost like speaking directly into that situation, but it was maybe a month before. Then it begins to help me and sustain me to navigate that moment until it passes or to pray through it or invite God to break in in a certain way. So maybe it's returning to some of the promises that God has spoken to you. And then the last, the last response that I've got there, and you can respond in your own way. These are just suggestions. Is to ask God for an experience of his presence unique and personal to you. And we're going to take two minutes to do this for us together. Um, sometimes we have to rely on his word. All the time we have to rely on his word. But I love that God desires to give us tangible experiences of himself in order to help. And this story of John chapter 6, Jesus actually does multiply food for people to eat. Like it's a, a tangible thing. And when the disciples are concerned about bread or their needs, Jesus continually reminds them of those stories. Like, don't you get it? I, you don't have to worry about bread. I've got that covered. But he does that through a number of experiences where he provides supernaturally for their needs. But it's a literal thing. It's bread, right? And so much so that he leaves 12 baskets of bread over for them. Just the, the evidence, the point that you have what you need. That's an experience that's tangible that they can memorize and know. And I love that God loves to do that. But what he's doing in that moment is he's not simply looking for you to trust him for bread. He's looking for you and I to trust him fully. And so the next part of that story, which we read together, is this argument that opens up with the people that have had the bread. And Jesus realizes that the only reason the crowds are coming to him is because they want to be fed physically. They just want bread. They've realized this guy can provide. I don't have to go to the shop. I, I'm, I'm tight. I don't have much money. This is, this is, this is like someone's feeding us now. <laughs> I'm going to come and be there and get bread. and I won't have to worry about the financial needs that I have. And Jesus realizes the only reason they're here is not because they want to know me and my kingdom. It's because they want bread. And so he begins to poke at that. And he begins to speak some offensive message about feasting on his body and drinking his blood and everybody gets super offended and distraught by it and everybody goes except for the 12 disciples and he's like are, are you going to go to and they're like well I feel like it don't say that by the way that's my part um he said no to whom will we go you have the words of eternal life because they were in it for something more for them it it was important that they knew that god provided their need and that he would always cover bread and he will do that for you and I want to pray that for you. And so I want to pray for an experience of his kingdom where you need it. But the reason for those experiences is not just so that you will stay like an infant just screaming when you need food fed. His desire is that you will grow and, and mature in his kingdom and discover the more that he has available. Do you understand? Um, so can I pray that for us? And then we'll, we'll go. So God, I... I I need bread, very literally. We need bread in lots of different ways. And I pray, just as we bring that before you, maybe even just putting our hands out or our hand on our heart, just, just be honest and available and say, I need you, God, in this. 
Like, and you can be raw and like a kid in it. Like, just like they would cry for bread. It's okay to do that on occasion because sometimes that's where we're at. And God, like a father or mother, responds to the cries of his children. He does not ignore that. So if you have a very real tangible need, it's okay to say, God, come on, I need you to move. And so Lord, will you come and meet people's needs? Will you heal the sick? Will you provide financially where there is lack? Will you restore emotional pain and where there's health issues in our mind where we need healing in all sorts of forms? Will you, will you meet us? Or where we're experiencing pain, rejection, unforgiveness, or hurt because of someone else's mess, I ask that you would come and, and meet us in that place, that you give us what we need to forgive and release. Or where we are feeling like we've stuffed up and we're in pain and we're messing about and we need your forgiveness, will you meet us? And as you do that this week and into Advent, in lots of beautiful, specific ways. I ask that it would, we would notice it as an invitation into the more of your kingdom that's available. So I'm going to give two minutes of silence and then we're going to close. And I just encourage you to use it as a moment to speak to the Lord about what it is that he wants to talk to you about.